Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. This is Koinonia Radio, 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. Man, you brought that music down fast. What if they wanted to hear the music just a little bit? Should we bring it back, everybody? Just, just, oh, it's already gone. Okay. That was quick if I talk. I mean, I can talk over music. I'll be all right, man. You can just play it. Anyways, this is not Tom Brown, but this is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, and this is Tom Brown's radio show, Koinonia Radio. What's up, though? Vocab Malone, local urban apologist, filling in for Tom Brown at the last second. He was supposed to interview me, but then something came up. I think he had to go chop it down a tree or something like that, you know? And so uh, he asked me to fill in. I'm just kidding. Sometimes he looks like a lumberjack. That's why I say that. Tom Brown sometimes looks like not Not lately, but when I first met him. Anyways, <laughs> I was on last week on Koinonia, and Tom Brown said, Vocab, you've been studying this new thing called the Hebrew Israelites. Some people call them the black Hebrew Israelites, but they don't prefer that terminology these days. He said, I just want you to kind of introduce people to it because they are active here in Phoenix. For example, Camelback and 19th Avenue, they're out there almost every Saturday. That's one place and some other places. And so uh, I said, all right, I'll do that. And so I came in and uh, we had a friend on named Faithful to God and he joined me. He's an apologist down there in Florida and he does a lot in this realm. So People know about the Jehovah's Witnesses, generally speaking, Christians do especially, and, you know, they knock on your door. People, especially even Arizona and the West and the Southwest and all of that, they know about the Mormons, the LDS Church. People know oftentimes, you know, about the rise of neo-atheism. People have some idea of Islam. Not a lot of people know about the Hebrew Israelites yet. It's sort of a new field, a new thing going on, but it's on the rise, and it's especially affecting churches in the inner city and that includes churches here in the valley. So let me just read something from Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 8 that shows why today's show on the Hebrew Israelite group is relevant. It says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Zoom in on a few things there. See where it says, these things, that means these good works and believing in God, I think. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, there's a question that's been raised. What people? Well, if you go back to 3.1, it says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And so the context of this instruction from Paul to Titus, the pastor there in Crete, is relevant towards behavior towards outsiders. And so it says, show perfect courtesy toward all people in 3.2. That gives us a clue when it says these things are profitable for people, that it's all kinds of people. And one of the things that's profitable is believing in God. And verse 6 and 7 says, Jesus Christ is our Savior, and it says we've been justified by His grace. Now, here's my point about that. 
Some of the groups we're going to discuss today don't believe that if you're a Gentile, you can even have salvation. And they don't believe that God's plan is really good for all people. They believe really it's good for just the Israelites and not other nations. Now, they do have funny ideas on who the Israelites are. Hint, hint. You'll see what that means in a second here. But I'm going to break down this further, and I'm going to have Faithful to God join me and talk about this group called the Hebrew Israelites in light of Titus 3 through 8 and also uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 8 and remember another part says avoid genealogies they're big on genealogies when we come back you're not going to want to miss this it's going to be a very intriguing show vocab Malone sent today koinonia discussing hebrew israelite new religious group on the horizon in our cities including here in phoenix gonna be talking about my man man faithful to god see you in a second do not go anywhere This is Koinonia Radio. Dude laughing behind the microphone is Vocab Malone. You're listening to 1360 KPXQ. I'm filling in for your normal host, Tom Brown. I know you miss him. I know you miss him. But just humor me. Uh, you know, I do bring a little bit of a different style to the program. But, uh, hey, it's Tom Brown's fault. I mean, he's the one who invited me on here. So what are you going to do? So, uh, yeah, we're talking about a brand new religious group. I mean, they're newer, and a lot of people are just now finding out about them. That's why I put it that way. Called the Hebrew Israelites. Some people call them the black Hebrew Israelites, although they don't like that. So we just call them Hebrew Israelites because there's no Israelites or Hebrews that actually call themselves. So we're not in danger of being confusing to anyone. The title itself is a little bit redundant, but that's what they call themselves. So we'll go with Hebrew Israelites. If you want to put it in quotation marks, you can. And I have Faithful to God up, and he's an apologist who deals specifically in this area, and we're going to introduce you to them. So, Faithful to God, how you doing, man? Hey, what's going on there, brother? Happy to be on the show. Good to see you. Tell me, how do the Hebrew Israelites define themselves as Hebrew Israelites? When they call themselves Hebrew Israelites in general, what do these groups mean? Well, they mean that Hebrew Israelite is a nationality. Uh, you know, most of us would look at them as a religious group, but they self-identify as a nationality. And basically, the way that they do that is Deuteronomy 28. They'll claim that there's only one group of people who fit the curses, and they would state that those people are blacks of the slave trade, Latinos, and Native Americans. All right, so if a person saw a group of Hebrew Israelites, what might they look like or sound like? Uh, well, it depends on the camp. If they encounter a group like Israel United in Christ, uh, they might be a little tamer, but obviously the rhetoric is still the same. Real Gentiles can't be saved. Only the descendants or physical descendants of Israel can be saved. And if you deal with someone like GMS, which stands for Great Millstone, um, then you're kind of going to get that same message with a lot more vulgarity and... Uh, well, you can just imagine a lot more extra stuff. So, to speak. so those are groups that you just mentioned that do street preaching here in Phoenix. I just talked to a pastor on the south side. He said they were over there at 51st Avenue in Buckeye about a month ago, specifically IUIC. They're called Israel United in Christ. They're the men who wear purple and gold, and they have little fringes on the bottoms of their shirts when they speak. Some of them have what look to be like capes, kind of like Larry Boy, if you know his color scheme. And uh, the way he looks, some of them kind of look like Larry Boy, except they're, uh, you know, what is Larry Boy? Is he a, is he a cucumber? Yeah, I think he's a cucumber. Yeah, a pickle? Is he a pickle? 
Does anyone know who Larry Boy is? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He got the purple and gold. I think he's a pickle, maybe. Anyways, that's what my kids say. But anyways, so uh, that's Israel United in Christ, and they're actually over there. And my friend, uh, he's a pastor. He's white. And so he said he just stuck around to see if they would talk to him because he said a lot of times they'll do that with groups that are street preaching. He said they just did their message for an hour, and he just sat there. No, they didn't come up to him and talk to him, even though it was right beside him, which he thought was interesting because uh, he kind of wouldn't fit the profile of an Israelite in their mind, I think. So that's one group. GMS, the other one you mentioned, are at Camelback at 19th. And they'll be out there, sometimes at Washington or First Street, and they don't wear purple and gold. They look like sort of Old Testament prophets, but over like standard kind of hip-hop urban fashion kind of thrown on top of it. So a mixture of that. Then there's groups who don't do the street preaching, and they are not the same. There's one called Israel of God. They're on McDowell right here in Phoenix. And I visited with them. They are respectful, kind, warm-hearted, nice, gentle people. They do have some of the same beliefs, but they definitely do not preach them with the same type of attitude. So there are different types of Hebrew Israelites. The main thing they believe, though, is if you're a descendant of a slave, you're part of the lost tribes of Israel. Uh, There's other things they believe, but that's a big one. All right, so who do they identify, faithful to God, the Hebrews are like groups in general, as Gentiles? Who's a Gentile in their mind? Well... In their mind, there are two kinds of Gentiles, and this is where most people are like, huh, two kinds of Gentiles? Basically, there are the real Gentiles, and those are the people who are not going to get saved, in their opinion. For example, the Edomites, who they believe are white people, Moabites, who they believe are Asians, etc., etc., continental Africans would be Hamites. But then there's the Israelites in a Gentile state of mind, who they believe are Israelites who don't know that they're Israelites. And uh, this is where it gets tricky with them, because their appeal usually usually stems from the Apocrypha, 1st Maccabees. They claim that that gives them the key to understand uh, what happened to the Israelites in antiquity, and hence why now nobody knows who they really are other than the Hebrew Israelites. And this is where they would basically go into their whole spiel about, uh, uh, well, they can identify the Israelites based on the curses and so on and so forth. So they're not really into taking DNA tests, though, or anything. That's not how they believe. No, no, no. In fact, they would even quote that verse, uh, science is falsely so-called. Right, from the King James, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they're absolutely against anything that has to do with uh, DNA. They basically identify through what they call the curses, and the curses would be Deuteronomy 28, specifically verses 15 through 68. Um, so they think there's that's certain how they people that to this understanding of so-called Israelites in a Gentile state of mind. So anytime you see a positive reference to Gentiles in the New Testament, it is in reference to the Israelites, according to them. Right. So they'll see Gentiles, and to them, they mean what we would think of as Hellenized Jews. Those would be Israelites uh, who have adopted Greek fashion and ways of dress, perhaps even diet and culture and language. And we would say, hey, there's a word for that. It's called Hellenized Jews or Hellenists, something like that. There's a Greek word for that. And uh, they would say, no, um, they're actually uh, Israelites. They just... They might as well be Gentile. And so that's an easy out because then anytime you see Jews and Gentiles, what they see in their mind with their backwards interpretive schema is Israelites and Israelites who don't know they're Israelites or something like that. But they basically see Israelites and Israelites when we see Jew and Gentile. And right. so that makes refuting some of their claims 
um, trickier because what seems to be clear teaching, and indeed it is, they flip on its head with an esoteric understanding, really, of course, it's a misunderstanding of the language employed to be able to describe these people groups. And uh, so it gives them an easy out. But it's really based upon their presuppositions that they already hold. It's not really based upon anything rooted in the text of Scripture itself. Now, what do some of these groups say about the Gentiles, the groups they would describe as other nations? You know, for example, people that are so-called white people, people that are so-called Asians. The reason I say so-called is because that's the terminology they employ. Right. They prefer Edomites for white people and Moabites for Asians, for example. What do they say about some of these other nations? Faithful? Well, basically, their opinion is that, for example, when they look at something like Matthew 15, uh, when the Canaanite woman approached Christ, they'll look at her and say, that's an example of a real Gentile. You see, they even, they'll, they'll even say things like, see, they called her a dog. Right. Uh, you know, they, they, even the apostles told Christ to send her away. Now, mind you, they'll ignore uh, verse 28, you know, where he healed the woman's daughter. But uh, what they'll do is they'll look at that and then, for example, look at someone like Cornelius, clearly a Gentile in Acts 10. They'll say, no, see, this here is an Israelite in a Gentile state of mind. Cornelius was actually an Israelite. Now, mind you, originally they used to teach that Cornelius was an Edomite and that God was deceiving Cornelius. If you guys can actually believe that, they actually taught that. And I guess uh, they changed up the teaching, so now... Uh, Cornelius has an Israelite, of course, because they can't have any Gentiles being shown any sort of favoritism or, you know, any sort of mercy. Right. So, you know, that would just be an example of some of the things they do. So they basically think salvation is not for them. Not all the groups, but most of the groups. Some think that Gentiles can receive a form of salvation and still take on a subservient status in the new kingdom under Israelites. But it's not really one of harsh slavery. It's more like almost like a vassal state type of thing. Uh, right. For example, if, if I could interject, yeah. for example, GOCC That's a would group be a perfect example. Gathering, of, gathering Christ of, Christ of Christ Church. Yeah. And basically what they do is they appeal to Isaiah 14, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. But what they don't do is look at the context. Well, the context is in chapter 13 that talks about the Babylonian uh, kingdom coming to an end. Since we know that the Israelites went into captivity both by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they don't look at the context even in 14, and then look at Ezra chapter 2, verses 2 and verses 64 and 70, that clearly talk about the Israelites returning from that captivity. So in short, Isaiah 14, 1 and 2 is talking about the return from the Babylonian captivity. For the and Lord will have compassion. Eight seventeen. On Jacob, that and, just adds on to it. and will yep. again choose Israel, and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them, and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the people will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors, and rule over those who oppressed them. So they would say this is in the new kingdom. You're saying this is when Israel returned from, from the Babylonian Babylon. captivity, and we can clearly see this again. In the uh, book of Ezra, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and verses 64 and 70, along with Esther 8.17, since Esther 8.17 occurs before the return from the Babylonian captivity. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Esther, excuse me, Ezra, uh, chapter 2, talks about Mordecai. 
Yeah. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to the to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sarai, Reli, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Raham, and Bana. So you can see from this discussion we're having so far to really interact with this group, if you're going to do so on the level of the text, that is what the Bible says about the issue, which I would say that is how you should proceed. Christians should have a high view of Scripture, that it's authoritative, that it's accurate, that it's doctrinally sound, that it's inerrant, that it's inspired, that it's God's word to us that we should obey. And so we should proceed from that as our uh, place of authority. You notice you're going to need to know some Old Testament. And so these folks will kind of go to Old Testament passages that you might not hear about, and they'll interpret them a certain way. A lot of times the Christian is left dumbfounded because they haven't heard these passages before. They don't know the context. And they hear this interpretation, and if you're open to it, it might sound plausible to you because it's the first interpretation you've heard on it. And and it's also done with often great rhetorical flourish by these groups, great bravado, great confidence and boldness. So you put that together, and even though some of the ideas we're discussing, I imagine some people out there are saying, how could anyone believe this? You can see there starts to be an appeal there, especially if you've not been well taught in your church, but yet you do have a respect for God's word. You can see how that's a dangerous combination there. Well, that's some of what's happening. And Faithful and I, vocab, are concerned about this. And the reason why Tom let us sit in to talk about it today is because it is growing, especially in the inner city context. So we need to discuss it so you are made aware. And we pray that you are willing to engage folks, learn and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So that's what we're doing. So when we come back, we're going to get into their view of Jesus Christ. What do they think about Jesus, these Hebrews or lights? Find out. Ed Malone, I'm in the studio filling in for Tom Brown here on 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk on the AM dial. Yes, you can listen to us live. We've got that streaming ability there. Have you, got, have you guys been on, on the website? You should. It's kpxq1360.com, kpxq1360.com. Check it out and also uh, download the app there. Uh, it's on your phone and you can listen that way. So just putting a plug in there. Thanks, Tom Brown, for this forum. Today I'm discussing a new-ish. When I say new, it's been around since the 60s at least, but as far as spreading in a more global way, newish group called the Hebrew Israelites. Sometimes people call them the Black Hebrew Israelites, but they don't prefer that, so we're not calling them that today. But the Hebrew Israelites are a group who have group, um, beliefs that many people would consider strange and odd, such as um, Israelites are actually so-called black folks, uh, Native Americans and Latinos in the Western Hemisphere, and the modern Jews are fake. Uh, they're imposters, they believe. They also believe that um, the Apocrypha is the Word of God. They believe that Gentiles are in other nations, and uh, most groups, not all of them, believe that Gentiles can't be saved but are destined to be servants forever in the new kingdom. Some other groups have a somewhat different view uh, they don't really see them as servants, but maybe as sort of underlings in the kingdom. So still an ethnic hierarchy, but not as bad. We've discussed how you might see some of these groups out there preaching here in Phoenix, 19th Avenue, Camelback, 1st Street in Washington, 51st Avenue in Buckeye. Uh, but also there's a church on 44th Street in McDowell around there. 
And uh, they're actually some nice folks called Israel of God. So not all these groups are, you know, um, angry and mean. Some are, uh, but not all. And then we've been talking with Faithful to God about their beliefs. And we're going to get into this next question. Faithful, what do the Hebrew Israelites think of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? What's their Christology, Faithful? (laughs) Well, let's just say that it's very distorted. All right. Uh, Depending on who we're talking about, uh, by and large, they, they tend to be in the belief that Jesus is not God. Uh, but then at the same time, they believe Jesus is a God, almost like the Jehovah Witnesses. They almost have that exact same uh, view of Christ, where, you know, he's not necessarily equal with the Father, but somehow he's kind of divine, sort of like a demigod. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of almost have like a, a, a henotheistic uh, view of uh, the Godhead. Right. So uh, can you define, though, henotheism? What is henotheism in general? Right. Well, henotheism is the belief that there is one big God who is uncreated, and underneath him are little gods who are created. And basically, Christ is the highest of those little gods, along with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit probably being maybe a step below. Now, it depends. Some of them might believe that the Holy Spirit isn't God at all. Some of them believe that the Holy Spirit is simply a force, the same way that the Jehovah Witnesses believe. Some believe that he is the archangel Gabriel. So it kind of gets a little uh, tricky when you're dealing with some of these different groups. So they have different Christologies, but none of them really strike you as what we would call Orthodox Christology. No. What do you think... Now, we already know the answer to this. To the average Hebrew Israelite, what is the most important thing about Jesus Christ? The most important thing about Christ is and, that he came to show the Israelites how to keep the law. He didn't come necessarily to establish any sort of uh, new covenant. Rather, he came to really keep up with the old covenant. Um, so if you ever talk to them, some of them, I should say, they'll tell you that they do not believe in a new covenant, or at least that the new covenant hasn't come in yet. Rather, we're still under the old covenant, and we have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Question, what now, do they say when we say Jesus says this is the blood of the new covenant, which I pour What do they say, like, when Christ is instituting, uh, you know, the Lord's table there, the Lord's supper, when he says the new covenant? What do they say to that verse? Do you know? Right. So for the ones that really hold to this view of an extension of the Old Covenant, very similar to certain extremist Hebrew groups, uh, groups and uh, groups like uh, the Christian identity or those who adhere to Armstrongism, they believe that really Christ just came to pave the way to allow for people to keep the law better. And uh, essentially, the only thing that Christ came to do with the quote-unquote New Covenant is to, you know, let everybody know, well, the New Covenant hasn't come in yet. So in the meantime, you have to keep the law, but at the same time, because they do believe in a form of grace, they believe that they have to keep it, quote-unquote, to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. That means that if they're not keeping it perfectly, it's all good, because so guess what? Sort of kind of like, uh, you know, Mormonism or modern-day Judaism, probably. Right, yeah. So, so it's essentially, you know, hey, if we're not keeping it to the best of our ability, it's all good. You know, Christ got our back in that sense. Right. But so, as what far about as him uh, atoning for our sins? Uh, you know, dying for the remission of sins. Well, I've heard this some. Is where it gets tricky, I've heard you know? some that do pro- pro- propose that, which is of course legitimate. 
but I've heard others that either don't or they minimize it. Now, if right. someone was to ask me, what do you think the average Hebrew Israelite thinks is the most important thing about Jesus? If I based it upon what they speak about first and the types of signs and pictures they use, whether they're on the street or online, I would say the most important thing in the average Hebrew Israelite's mind about Jesus Christ is that he was a black man. Right. Yes, that is true. I, I almost forgot about that. You know, The thing is that it almost seems like those two kind of go hand in hand, depending on who you're talking to and at what time of the day you're talking to them. But usually when they see, for example, what they perceive to be an Israelite, which would be a descendant of the slave trade, Mm -hmm. uh, a Latino or a Native American, they'll put the emphasis on the skin color of Christ, and then they'll talk about how they have to keep the law, statutes, and commandments in order to be saved. Because obviously you have to know who you are first, because since only the Israelites can be saved, that's very important for them. And at the same time, you have to know how you're going to get saved, which is, according to them, keeping the law. That's salvation for them, keeping the law. Yeah, so uh, sometimes these groups will hold up a picture of, of Jesus. Uh, now, most of them don't like to call him Jesus because they'll say there's no J in Hebrew, which is true enough. But since we're speaking English and there are J's in English, when we say Jesus, it's how an English speaker would say Yeshua or Eusius in the Greek uh, and so we understand what we're saying, and I do believe God does too, and I think even Jesus probably knows what we mean when we say that. But nonetheless, uh, when they hold up that picture, they'll say this is a depiction or image based upon a description of what verse in the Bible, faithful. What do they think? How do you think they, for them, what's a definitive proof that you can know what Jesus looks like? What do they oh, say? Okay. That's easy. Revelation 1, 14, and 15. And they'll assert that those verses are talking about woolly hair and burnt feet. Let me read this from the ESV. Now, they tend to use the KJV, but I'm going to read it from the ESV, and you can talk about any significant differences in this verse specifically. It says, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now, that's going to be a little bit different in the KJV. They would focus on the the hair, which you and I would say it's describing the color of the hair. Clearly, it's saying it's white like wool. But what do they say? They say well, they'll say that it's talking about woolly hair. The texture. The and texture. And the will, again, come down to... This method that they have, which is also a misuse of Isaiah 28.10, although they never read Isaiah 28.13, where they talk about precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And they'll assert that that's how you read the Bible, just grabbing verses that have similar wording and then tying them together, even if they're not uh, on the same page. Now, they'll go to, for example, Daniel 10, and they'll see the verse there where it talks about, I believe, uh, Christ in the Spirit when Daniel saw him. And it'll say something to the effect of uh, his hair was like wool, if I'm not mistaken. Or actually, I could be mistaken. I believe that's Daniel 7. But they also tie that in with Daniel 10, where it says his arms and his legs in the KJV were as the color of burnished brass or polished brass. The problem is, if you look at that same verse in the Septuagint, it says his arms and his legs were as the appearance of shining brass. Mm-hmm. So that means the Israelites who trans who made the Septuagint translation understood that to mean shining or brightness. Now, again, going back to Revelation, 
when we look at 14 and 16, the context clues lead us to see that it is talking about brightness, glory, uh, yeah. power. Everything about it. So the hair is white, boom, like wool. It doesn't talk about the texture. It's talking about the color. Uh, his eyes were like flame of fire. Now, again, what ethnicity has eyes with flaming fire? See, that's not an ethnic thing. It's clearly describing him in his splendor, maybe similar to Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration, perhaps. His feet were like burnished bronze. Now, they'll always say, oh, when you have burnt brass, uh, they'll say, uh, what color is, is anything when you burn it? It's black. Refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And I've even heard people say, everyone knows black men have deep voices, and so the voice is like the roar of many waters. You know, it's like the James Earl Jones thing there. For those who know James Earl Jones is the guy in Lion King, and he's also Darth Vader. You know, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. By the way, everybody always says, he. they always misquote it. They always say, Luke, I am your father. He doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. Anyways, but that's James Earl Jones there, who also, um, you know, is a black man. So they're kind of saying there's a voice thing. But we could see that's clearly proof texting, and that's not the point of the passage. And so they take away from the glory and splendor of Christ to make it all about his color. Now, 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 real quick, if if I can just uh, say one thing, and the whole eye thing, they actually try to tie that in with Genesis 49. Uh, Remember we were talking about on the last show, that uh, they use racial stereotypes. So they'll look at, you know, the red eyes, I believe it's in verse 13, and uh, or something like his eyes are red like wine, or red with wine, or something to that effect. And then they'll assert that who has red eyes when they drink wine? The black men. But here's the problem. Wait, hold on. When I don't, need, I don't that, actually get that. Do, is, is that a thing I don't know about? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, they, they use a lot of those, uh, you know, and they try to tie that in with, uh, Revelation 1, uh, 14 through, well, well, verse 14, I should say. And what they do is they look at that and automatically assert, well, you know, this, this is talking about red eyes because of wine. But here's the problem. In the Septuagint, in that same verse, uh, we see that it says his eyes were beautiful or sparkling like wine. Right. So... You know, well, more to cover when we cover when we come back, faithful. Let's talk about their belief in yes, reincarnation. They believe in reincarnation. Uh, For last week's show that we were referencing, where we discussed this, the date was July thirteenth, of course, two thousand sixteen. You can find it on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com, Quinnia. That's K O I N. O-N-I-A dash radio. That's how you find it. SoundCloud.com, Quinity Radio. And it's July 13th, and it says Vocab Malone. So check that show out where we discuss uh, this. And this is really a part two of this show, discussing the Hebrew Israelites with Faithful to God. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Quinity Radio, 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. My name Vocab Malone. My job, bring you that urban level, street level type of apologetics. What is apologetics? That is the explanation and rational defense of the Christian faith. That is, you give reasons for why you believe what you believe. That's maybe considered defensive in a way, but there's also maybe polemics involved in apologetics. That's maybe what you might call offensive, where you reach out and critique things 
that are false as well. From a biblical worldview, you critique them and say, here's why this is wrong. Utilizing the tools that God has given us, logic and reason, um, always reasoning from the Scripture, like Acts says that Paul went to the synagogue and he reasoned from the Scripture. So he's using his rational faculty, he's using logic that is God-given. It's not some thing floating out there that we don't know how we got it or that it evolved or man just has it. It's something that God gave us. It's part of our imago dei, the fact we're made in his image, our rational faculties, logic. But we reason from the correct foundation, not our own autonomy or idea or opinion. We reason from something. What's that something? It's God's word. So it's really from a someone, and it's what he's revealed and communicated to us. So by God's grace, we're trying to partially do that here today, reason from those scriptures. To help do that, as I discuss the Hebrew-Israelite religious movement that's been pop, 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 popping up here more and more in the urban environments, I got my main man from Florida, Faithful to God. What up, Faithful? You been having fun so far, man? Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. love... You know, going through all these, you know, faulty doctrines and showing how they're false because That's your people favorite. need to be made aware of these things, yeah. you know? Yeah, man. Well, I mentioned on the other side, I said, these dudes, the Hebrew Israelites, believe in reincarnation. Faithful, what is reincarnation? Why do they believe in it? And why is it f- uh, helpful to them in their belief system? Well, basically, the reincarnation doctrine was actually... Uh, ushered in in the original school uh, that the groups like Israel United in Christ, Great Millstone, uh, Israelite Church of the God and Jesus Christ, all these different groups were once a member of a monolithic group known as the Israeli Church of Universal Practical Knowledge. And basically, one of the main figureheads in the school, Ariah, introduced this doctrine of reincarnation where he basically said that not only could they find themselves in the Bible, but then they could also find the nations in the Bible. And every time that someone dies, they come back uh, and take on a new body. So, for example, when certain people might say to them, uh, for example, certain uh, white brothers and sisters might say, well, I had nothing to do with slavery. They'll look at them and say, well, you actually did, and you got to pay for what your forefathers did. And Yeah, because it's not it, only your it, forefathers, but you're actually embodying their essence in some way right, because right, reincarnation exactly. in their mind right. is true. So it's a, a way to make sure people who have done injustice they get paid back. That's interesting because I wonder how that relates to, for example, Babylonians. Egyptians, you know, because they have had the Israelites in slavery or captivity in some way. Uh, Persians, for example. I wonder what their thoughts are about that in relationship, because they always mention Edomites, who they view as white people, you know, because of the modern transatlantic slave trade. But, you know, stuff went down before that. But why do they believe in reincarnation? I mean, what's the textual basis, maybe, or how do they defend it? Because most people, upon hearing it, say, well, that strikes me as decidedly unbiblical, which it is, by the way. But what's their reasons they give? I mean, have you heard a defense of this? Right. Well, basically, they make appeals to Ecclesiastes 3.15 that states, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away, right? And then they'll also uh, look at, for example, Christ when he goes and speaks to the blind man, I believe in John, the Gospel of John, and uh, the apostles asked, what did he do? Why is he blind? And uh, he says that it was nothing that he had done necessarily. Well, I, I, off the top of the head, I don't remember verbatim, but basically they use those verses to tie together, along with, uh, I believe, a few others, 
Yeah, like the one where uh, of when um, also Herod, I just remembered. I got one. Hold on, hold on. I got one. Herod was like thinking, uh, "What's he think? Jesus is John the Baptist coming back to get him? Something like that." He's like, "Remember?" <laughs> right. he's, he's like, "Oh." And then another one where uh, Jesus is like, "Who do men say that I am?" And they're like, "Elijah the prophet." And so they use those discussions Jesus right. had with his disciples to say, "See, people had a belief in reincarnation back then." <laughs> right. All right, but go ahead. Right. Yeah, basically, I was going to point out uh, basically the verse where John the Baptist is, you know, said to be in the spirit and power of Elijah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and there's also that verse where Christ says uh, he, he is Elijah if you can receive it. Now, if you've noticed, any, if you talk to any of these different camps who do believe in reincarnation, mind you, a uh, gathering of Christ's church has rejected the doctrine, so they do not hold it. So if anybody encounters them... Uh, in the Phoenix area, if they have a camp in Phoenix or surrounding areas, uh, they do not hold to that doctrine. However, the rest of the camps, uh, Israel United in Christ, Great Millstone, etc., they do hold to that doctrine. Right. Um, but, you know, essentially that is their appeal. You know, you know, basically they believe that Christ was actually a reincarnation of Solomon and Adam. <laughs> they actually believe that. They believe that... Uh, that even the apostles were reincarnations of different figureheads in, in the Bible. And now, according to them, hey, they came back, you know, as, for example, uh, Tahar, the leader of Great Millstone, believes he's the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ariyah believes he's John the Revelator, and so on and so forth. So check it out. You've got um, ethnic hierarchalism uh, there. So it's race instead of grace. You've got law... You've got uh, a mutated Christology. You've got a bad soteriology. You've got reincarnation. You've got bad interpretation. Not only that, you've got false prophecies. Turn up this clip, please. And that is to totally annihilate America. America will be blown off the face of the earth by the year 2000. It's talking about Judgment Day. And he's coming back, and he's going to take down the white man, the Edomites. That's why your pope is down on the ground. It's going to happen by the year 2000. You really? That's it, yeah. These places are going to be hit, and the thermonuclear war is America. America's going to be wiped off the face of the planet Earth. That's going to take place before the year 2000. That's going to take place before the year 2000. That's going to take place before the year 2000. America has less than 628 days America has less than 628 days. America has less than 628 days before this country is taken out and thermonuclear destruction. This kingdom, America, is going to be destroyed before the year 2000. The evil kingdom that God spoke of in the Bible. And all you so-called white people, your condemnation, you are condemned to what hell? And you're going to be in hell, you're going to be oppressed before the year 2000. Museum America is going to be destroyed before the year 2000 by thermal nuclear destruction. So there's a number of prophecies all taking place in the 90s about Christ coming back for year 2000 America, which they view as the new Babylon or the new Egypt, going to get boom, 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 bombed, gone. See you later. Peace out. Judgment. Now slavery comes. That's what they said was going to happen. I don't think that happened. So, obviously, after their leaders made this false prophecy, they packed up their bags and went home, right, Faithful? 
Well, yeah, you know, basically... Uh, Not really, that, by the way. They just recalibrated. But what happened? Yeah, they basically, they, they kind of, you know, kind of like you said, recalibrated and came back with the same doctrine and then tried to spin that. In fact, some of them will even assert that that was uh, what happened to Jonah. They'll say, well, look at Jonah. Didn't Jonah go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites? And didn't, didn't you know, God tell him that he was going to destroy Nineveh? He, then he didn't, but then he did later on in Nahum. But here's the problem. Oh, I this see. Is, oh, so there's, you know, like, where Jonah says 40 days, you know, repent or, uh, you know, get wiped out. They're saying that's the same thing that happened. So they're preaching. Uh, I guess they're saying it was successful then that America repented? I mean— <laughs> well, their assertion is, depending on who you talk to, their assertion is that the Israelites repented. But here's the problem. Oh, okay. I get it. I, well, when Jonah goes to Nineveh, the people repented before the 40 days. Now, why right. is it that when these guys make the prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, all of a sudden it's somehow the same as Jonah? No, no, no. Right. I mean— doesn't it's, make any sense. It's what's and called ad hoc. I actually pointed that out to a few of them. Ad hoc is an explanation given after the fact to try to explain an incongruity. So they're like, well, Jesus didn't come back, so apparently Israel has been repenting. Check it out. Yeah, so the thing is, though, you know, you mentioned earlier there's a man in there named Tahar, and there he is in 1998. He's street preaching, and he is saying very clearly America has a certain amount of days left. It's going to happen in a few years. And he is still considered the great apostle, worthy of double honor in their vernacular, over the group called the Great Millstone Israelites. So it ain't like they said, oh, he's a false prophet. They just recalibrated, and these dudes, some of them are still in charge. So why do you think this is significant? um, The the guy, the head elder in Israel United in Christ, Nathaniel, also taught that. In fact, uh, I believe... uh, you know, there were, there were, you know, in the, in the same video that you played, which uh, is on my channel, if everyone wants to find it, Faith for the God uh, on YouTube. Uh, basically, in that same video... You want to play uh, the clip? We, Here, can you turn this up, yeah, William? Yeah, definitely play it, no, yeah. The audio's a little poor, but uh, turn this audio. talking about how that prophecy you know, was formulated. Okay, and how I'm playing it right now. ...that I, you know, learned, and the brother was right about, you know, uh, Ariel was one of the pioneers to bring out that... Christ is coming before the year 2000, and the understanding of that came from Isaiah, the chapter, the, uh, the sixth chapter, uh, that after two days I will restore you, and after and the third day uh, you you live in my sight. So he figured that you know the third day is after the year 2000. So that they kind of you know came with that understanding. Everybody in the school at Bloom West um, preached the year 2000 prophecy uh, the, that Christ is going to return in the year 2000. All of us. That was a that was that was sanctioned by Haria. You teach us on the street, and 34th yeah. Street camp. I was in 34th Street camp, right in front of uh, the bank. Uh, what the name of the bank now? The, bank. the, the name City of the bank. bank. City, City Bank. bank. City bank. City I was out there teaching that for almost 10 years, from 19 um, from 19, 1989 to 1999. I was. I have to stop right there. You only have 30 seconds, but what else do you want to say about the failed year 2000 prophecy among the Hebrew Israelite groups? Well, that is a perfect example of what that doctrine leads to. Right. When there is no discernment, uh, well, that's what ends up happening. Yeah, and so you see there's a lack of discernment, and some of these men are still leaders today. There's a real bad 
uh, interpretive framework going on. And the interesting thing is, a lot of times when you speak to some of these groups, they'll say, Christians don't prophesy. You guys aren't able to read the text and understand what's going on in the light of the times. We are. We have prophets in our midst, and we're listen to us speak, hear the prophets speak, they even say sometimes. But yet you look at the track record, and obviously it's got this big blemish that was only 16 years ago. So when we come back, we're going to actually briefly talk about how to reach out to someone who may be caught up in this way of thinking with the gospel heart of Christ. One more time, last segment, brief one here. Vocab alone, been talking here on Koinonia. Tom Brown, let me fill in about a new religious group called the Hebrew Israelites. Today we talked about their view of the deity of Christ, the view of the Gentiles, reincarnation, the false prophecy, salvation, the law, works, grace, righteousness, the Israelites, and discernment. And basically they've got a negative point on all of those issues. However, we don't want to just point fingers. We're reaching out ultimately because we want people to come out of this deception and walk into the light. Faithful, do you have some testimonies to close the show with in that regard? Absolutely. We've actually been able to pull out seven people since we started doing uh, videos on my channel. Basically, every Monday night at 11 p.m., I host 11 p.m. Was yes, this 11 East, Eastern, Eastern Standard, Standard okay. Time, right? Which would be uh, 7 p.m. Pacific eight. Standard Time. Uh, I host. I think a, eight o'clock. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. Oh, eight o'clock. I'm sorry, eight o'clock. Right, you're right. Uh, I host an after show, uh, basically where we engage Hebrew Israelite proponents on their beliefs. And due to videos on my channel, on the Brother G-Man's channel, uh, Vekel, that's V-E-K-L, on, on his channel, we've been able to pull out seven confirmed people from this movement, and we're hoping, Lord willing, that more people will come out, because I do believe that the Lord has raised us up in this time to do these things, because it was a long time coming. And I also want to say, for anybody who wants to find my channel on YouTube, it is Faithful to God, or you can type in TTV, and the number is 2050. And you can easily find me on YouTube. And uh, by the grace of God, we will continue to do this work and to pull more of these people out and hopefully show these people why they are in error, why they are in heresy, and why they truly need Jesus Christ. Right, because the reason we're concerned about this is if people are leaving gospel-preaching churches and going over to a church which no longer has a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's Romans one sixteen. So it matters. It's an eternal question. It's something that you can hang your hat on in regards to life and death, this gospel message. And the Hebrew Israelites, they have another gospel. And another gospel is no gospel at all, Scripture says. So we want to reach out in wisdom and power 